0: Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, divine Miss C.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you all could join me today. Um, Got a bunch of stuff coming up, and I love doing the show because I get to talk about whatever I want and have whatever guests on that I want. And I love people that are very intelligent, and I have a wonderful attorney named Andra Vaccaro on the line with me. Uh, She's an attorney in Los Angeles, and welcome to the show, Andra.
2: Thank you very much,
1: Lori. And I want to talk about a little bit about what happened and how we met first because I posted on a website, I I think it's pronounced avo, A-V-V-O dot com. I had actually posted out, I had a situation where I sold something via eBay. So I buy a lot on eBay. Sometimes I sell. I used to sell a lot. And I had a problem because the I followed all of the seller, you know, the seller's rules. I've taken the private course. I've looked everything up. I made sure everything was in order. And what had happened was I had sold a very expensive outfit, two pieces, but two different sizes um, via eBay to the, the same buyer. And that person didn't follow any of the rules and basically was trying to, you know, in my eyes anyway, weasel her way out of the sale And it got to the point where it was just unbelievably nasty. And eBay is known to protect buyers over sellers, even when the seller is correct. And I had posted this question up on ABO and you had responded back and that's how we kind of got in touch and we had a nice long talk about it. But, you know, there are a lot of people that sell on eBay or have used PayPal, which they recently just split up as companies, you know, but I'm sure they're going to be tied tightly together because eBay primarily, you you know, uses PayPal for payments. So, I want to talk a little bit about what happens, Andre, in situations like this. You know, what, what kind, how can I protect myself if I'm a seller?
2: Well, one of the issues that is happening now is that eBay has user and seller and buyer agreements that they post online. And one of the problems with that is that the eBay and PayPal agreements are very fluid. In other words, what may be posted today when you make your sale or you purchase something may not be the agreement tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And by signing up to use these services, you are basically agreeing to the amendments before you even see them. And courts are finally beginning to start taking notice. The problems that most consumers and sellers have is that they don't have the funds or the wherewithal to go after an eBay or a PayPal for violating either the terms of service that ebay posts, or the terms of service that the seller makes part of the contract by the posting so there are are many um shall we say moving parts to this and as a result um, nobody really knows what to do there have been major uh, class action lawsuits brought against ebay and i did some further research after we spoke And there have been many settlements by eBay, but they tend to be class action lawsuits so that the people that are ultimately affected don't get money to which they're entitled. Rather, either the class action lawyers uh, receive most of the funds as part of their payment and the uh, plaintiffs in the class action lawsuit will get a sum of money. But by the time it trickles down to the people who are really affected, they really don't get very much in terms of any compensation. So the system is broken. Um, The only way that the systems get fixed are through politicians and legislation and laws being enacted. But as we all know, that happening either on a a fast basis or done by a consumer group is very, very difficult. It is, and it's Um, interesting. Usually the people with the most Pardon. Yeah, I was gonna say it's interesting. Wanna... It's people with the most money tend to win the lawsuit and those are the eBay's and the PayPal.
1: Right. And you mentioned the, the class action, and I think there was a class action filed last year, and I actually remember reading the terms. And you're right, it trickled down. And I think it said that the average person in that class action was going to win a $4.50 credit back to to their, whatever their, their, their account was, their eBay account. And I just laughed and said, so, you know, you got 10,000 people who have a legitimate reason and they're going to get a $4.50 credit. What's the point? What did that, how did that punish? Right. How did that punish the company? It didn't, right?
2: Well, it, it, well, what happens is eBay, in one of the lawsuits I noticed, eBay was forced to pay something around $4.6 million, and by virtue of the fact that they paid this great sum of money, you would think that eBay or PayPal would be discouraged from continuing some of their practices, but unfortunately it didn't because for them unfortunately for the consumer and for the sell- and for the people who are selling on eBay that's a drop in the bucket for eBay now, so you know this as i said the system is broken i think that people like you people you know lawyers like me who actually care about the general public and trying to make sure that their rights are protected I mean, we're the only people who are going to be able to change the system, but it's a very slow, arduous process. And eBay and, and PayPal are very clever because as I said, they keep changing their agreement. So um, today mm-hmm. there might be an agreement that, for example, and one of the things I noticed is the jurisdiction used to be in Santa Clara County, then they switch it to Utah and they move it around. So you're, you're dealing with a, a moving target and so one of the things that you and I had discussed was the potential of going to small claims because it's a quick, easy, um, and uh, basically lawyerless forum for the, the common consumer, the common seller to be able to do something. Okay. So, you know, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. It's even frustrating as an attorney because yeah. Um, for example, eBay may require arbitration, and it may require arbitration in a certain location. And although eBay at, at times amends their agreements so that they're, they're, they appear more fair on their face, in actual practice it be- still becomes very difficult for a consumer or seller right to go after eBay and, and it's, it's inter- because of the monetary problems.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you you mentioned about that because in the time that we last spoke in the last week I just got another updated PayPal uh, user agreement. You know, And it's so convoluted, most people can't even understand it. But when I look at it, 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 I could tell it was written by lawyers because it's really one-sided. It reminds me of credit card companies. They can do the same thing. They can pretty much change it any time. You know, they, they send out a notice usually in the mail. Most people, of course, it's their fault because they don't read it. Here, PayPal or eBay, they're sending out these these updated agreements online. But when I read through them and I'm not a lawyer, I go, wow, it's basically telling me that in order to get justice, right, which is my constitutional right. I have to follow all of their rules. So, you know, maybe you can talk about or what is an arbitration clause? What does that mean to someone who doesn't know?
2: Okay, an arbitration clause is a clause in a contract that requires you not to go into court but rather go into a private proceeding that may or may not necessarily be able to be made public. And that in that private proceeding, which takes place before an arbitrator and in different jurisdiction, arbitrators either need to be retired judges or an attorney well-versed in consumer matters or some other related manner. Um, And that arbitrator then gets to hear the cases if the arbitrator were a judge and make decisions And the only thing that can be done from that point forward is you can go to court and get the decision um, either affirmed or you can try to get it thrown out for very, very limited reasons, which usually is impossible. You know, things like showing that the arbitrator was unfair or somehow was related through some back channel to one of the parties, I mean, it is a very, very difficult thing to get an arbitration turned aside. And one of the reasons uh, that eBay and PayPal and other companies like to arbitrate is that it doesn't appear on any records, so that there is no precedent that you can use in the in lawsuit that subsequently follows. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so if I don't want to arbitrate, now, I try to do some research to find out, hypothetically, if I were to want to sue either eBay or PayPal, um, and PayPal says they're not a bank, supposedly, you know, they kind of have loopholes, but if I wanted to sue, let's say, eBay, would I be able to do so in small claims court? I actually went to the Department of Corporations, and they are registered, so can I sue them in small claims? Because when I look online, there are people that are saying they have... But I don't know if that means they've actually gone through the process or they got a judgment because eBay didn't show up. And now, well, what does that do? I mean, is it possible to to do that in small claims?
2: Well, anyone, as I tell, and this is my cynical view of of the laws that now stands. Anybody can sue anyone for anything. Um, we live in that kind of society now, and because I do answer many questions online for Avvo. Um, I, I have noticed that there's a, a trend now amongst consumers just to sue. I mean, the, the first reaction, the first knee-jerk reaction people want to do is to sue. Now, small claims is limited in that you can only sue for things like breach of contract, fraud, you know, very, very specific causes of action. For example, most small claims courts throughout this country do not allow you to sue for Uh, injunctive relief and an an injunction is where a court orders somebody to do or not to do something Mm. and for example if you want to go through with a contract you can't sue for a court to order the other party to fulfill their obligation you can only sue for breach of contract so small claims courts are limited in in different states and in different jurisdictions there's different limits so that if like For example, in one place, you may be able to sue for up to $10,000. In another place, it may only be $5,000. So that is one of the the issues that is non-uniform throughout this country. When you do go to small claims court, you can sue for breach of contract, but you're going to have to bring in your your eBay contract, which as, as I said, is a moving target because sometimes you're not even sure which one applies to you. The one that you signed as when you joined, the one that currently exists, which is usually what eBay says. eBay usually incorporates anything that went on before and says, no, the state of the contract is now. So when you go to small claims court, you have to be prepared. Um, If you sue eBay and small claims, you need to be able to thoroughly show that you've served them correctly and that they received service. Sometimes when the matters are too little or not important enough to eBay, they may just let it go, and so you can obtain a judgment against eBay, but then you have to go to Santa Clara County, which is where eBay is located, and try to enforce the judgment. Um, Since many courts, unfortunately, tend to want to keep the industries in their areas, even though they're not supposed to, and they're supposed to be a a fair uh, forum for everyone, sometimes you can't. Yeah. The, the, the forum will say, no, under eBay's contract, you had to sue them either in Santa Clara County to begin with, or you had to sue them in Utah, depending on which agreement applies. So it's very, very complicated. Uh, even if you win, you still have to enforce it, and right. that's where eBay will try to... Keep you from from uh, perfecting your judgment. Right. So it becomes costly, regardless.
1: Right so basically in my case I you know I was very fortunate in the end I I won the dispute which I think was was justice because I did everything according to the book the the buyer had remorse made up a bunch of stuff sent me a bunch of nasty emails I'm sitting here going this person is totally wacky you know but but she, because she had so many transactions as a buyer she also knew how to manipulate the system and how to report things so I have read stories where people have gotten things for free on eBay, and the seller lost out, lost their money, and the buyer got a refund and got to keep the merchandise, and I think people it's something that people need to be aware of. So you've given given some good suggestions here um, you know, about the eBay and PayPal. But the other thing I wanted to talk to you today is really a bit about your specialty. Uh, we want to talk about trademark law and picking a name for your company, because that's another thing I think that's confusing to people. How do you go about picking out a name for your company and making sure that no one else has that is that state is it is it United States is it international what's involved with that
2: well it's
1: I'm throwing you right off for a loop on another track in that yep
2: yes no everything is involved Just, just so that your listeners understand a trademark is a word a name a symbol or a smell or a sound that's used to identify and distinguish goods or services of, of one um, owner from those offered by another owner. Um, you may not know, for example, that the trademark, you know, who actually owns a specific product, but you do have the trademark. Um, the trademark signifies that anything with that name or that sound or whatever on it comes from the same source. And that's the important part. So you may not know the actual name of the source, but you do know that if a product has that name, it's going to be of similar quality to products with that name on it that you've found elsewhere uh, for example um, for example uh, uh, in a sound mark um, one that probably all of your listeners are familiar with is the NBC Chime. that can be a trademark something that when you hear it it will refer you to a specific entity it's the it's the Nike swoosh its you know, there's there's so many different things that can be used as trademarks, even including packaging. You know, the Coca-Cola bottle, for example. When you see it, you don't you don't and it doesn't have a name on it. You would recognize it probably as a Coca-Cola right. bottle. You're making and me f- that's, that's really what trademark law is
1: about. You're making me think of like Tiffany's packages in the blue box with a white ribbon. I'm wondering if exactly. that, that would be one. But exactly. that, that's, that it's disti- in other words, it's distinctive, whether it's a, a sound or it's packaging. Now, on, on websites, because I know you and I had spoken on the phone a while back about this is, you know, if, I, if my name is Lori Zook and I want to register the domain name online, lorizook.com, and then I find out, that someone else has it. And I can tell you, I know nobody else has my name. Um, what if they're doing that and they start posting defamatory things about me and it's under my name? What happens? Am I stuck?
2: Well, well, that that is actually a whole other area of law that, that goes into your internet law and Internet law, as we all know, is expanding on literally a moment-by-moment basis. I mean, it is so new. There are um, different forums that the government and the international uh, trade unions have set up to deal with the fact that people are stealing domain names. Uh, they're, they're trying to get domain names of trademarks that belong to other people. Um, as I told you when we spoke... What people don't understand, for example, is that they may not even be entitled to trademark their own name mm-hmm. if they have a common name. Or, you know, let's say that, that somebody's born uh, with the name Mark Jacobs and it's not Mark Jacobs as we know the right. designer. You know, they don't even have, if your name is Mark Jacobs and you're not the designer and you haven't trademarked, you've been the first to trademark it, you don't have an absolute right to use your own name. It's very frustrating for people to hear that, but that's the reality of trademark law. is It's the first to file, and in, in, in use the mark in commerce, and it's and then policing those rights. You you can lose your rights to a trademark if the trademark becomes diluted. For example, whenever we we. Um, go for a facial tissue people refer to the facial tissues as Kleenex whether or not it's the Kleenex brand so things like that get diluted and then there becomes arguments that that what used to be a trademark is now a generic term right so it's a very very muddy area of law and the addition of domain names and people trying to own the domain names that belong to other people is, is a whole other topic that we could go over, but it's very, very complicated, and there's special forms, as I said, that will um, that you can go to. Um, there's, for example, here, um, Congress passed the Anti-Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act that pr- protects trademark owners from acts of cyber piracy by those who have bad faith intent in using a domain name to profit from someone else's trademark. So there's it, there there's so much going on in this area. I think that that you and I could probably dedicate a whole segment to you know internet and um, internet pro- name protection, internet defamation, because right. I, I know a lot of your listeners are very frustrated because whether they're, they're consumers and somebody's gone onto Facebook and, and decided to defame them and make statements about them that aren't true, or whether it's a company, you know, a small business where somebody's given them a bad Yelp review. I mean, there is so much going on right now, and people are very, very frustrated because a lot of people find themselves at the, at the, the bad end where somebody's defaming them online they don't even know who it is right right and to find out who it is 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 a major process i mean i've done that and in order to do that for example you would have to go into court file a case literally against john doe okay you, you because you don't know who your defendant is necessarily and so in order to find out who the defendant is you have to file a, a defamation case against john doe which most courts use an unnamed person to be named later you then need to file um, you then need to get a subpoena from mm-hmm. that court on the site you know to be delivered to the site that posted the bad comments uh, to try to learn the identity of the person who posted the bad comment and unfortunately even though for example a bad comment be, may be posted on someone's Facebook page you still never know whether that's the actual person who posted it. So this is the safest way to make sure your case doesn't get dismissed, is to literally file it originally against an unnamed person.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And then, I, I yes, didn't, exactly. Yeah, yes. I, I didn't even know until you told, told me about that, that you could even do that. I would think that, it might, you know, I would think you'd have to file it against an actual person, but you explained you could do it against a John, uh, John Doe.
2: Well, I act, I've actually done it, and yes, you file it against John Doe. the The problem becomes, as I said, you can file. You know, you can go to court, you can get the judge to issue a subpoena, and the subpoena says to this website, you know, the the, the forum on which, like Yelp or or Ripoff Reports or any of these sites that that uh, post these things, and says, you know, and you're asking them to d- disclose who the person is that posted this stuff. Now, the issues then become is what happens, for example, if you're in California or in your case you're in Florida and ripoff reports, for example, is in Arizona, then what do you have to do? Then what you have to do is you have to find an Arizona attorney to go into Arizona court and and issue the subpoena in the Arizona court because that's the court that governs this third party, the ripoff reports, and then you need to serve... a a arizona court subpoena on ripoff reports now a company like ripoff reports usually objects to any subpoena and forces you to go to court to show the judge that you have a reasonable chance of winning the lawsuit in order to get them to divulge this anonymous person that posted something about you on the internet it's a very long tedious and costly process and that's what everybody counts on. And one of the other things that, that, that the people who are posting it count on is, let's say that they posted it, that they made a statement of fact that is indeed false, and you prove it. And you get a judgment against them. Then what happens? Well, most of the people, if they have a monetary judgment against them, are, are either insolvent or they don't have the money or whatever. So you may never collect even if you win. Um, then what happens is you want to get the information taken off the Internet. Well, uh, companies like Rip Off Reports will, will hide themselves behind the Digital uh, Millennium Copyright Act, which basically states that a board um, such as Rip Off Reports, such as Yelp, and any company that just is merely a, a bulletin board they don't edit anything, they don't add their own comments, they don't do anything, so that they literally are just like a bulletin board, but an electronic one. Um, They are permitted under this Digital Millennium Copyright Act for not being liable for anything posted on their site. And people don't realize that, that the Yelps and the Rip Rock Reports and all of these sites are basically immune from prosecution. It's very frustrating because even if you contact them and you show them that what was posted and you even get a judgment that what was posted was incorrect, they may they still have the right to refuse to take it down.
1: You know, that's so frustrating. I'm finding that so frustrating because what you're saying is, you know, to me, I would think the law would be black and white common sense you know these companies shield themselves behind it and then the person using that service doesn't know until something goes wrong and we're i actually have to cut it cut the segment here i want to thank you for joining me today will you be my guest again on a future show in a few weeks <laughs>
2: Oh, I would love to. I would love to. I, I, I really feel very strongly that consumers need to be better educated and they need to understand what gets done. Um, I do want to say that the, the topics that we discussed today are, are not legal opinions, but are for informational purposes only. Um, I strongly suggest to all listeners if they feel that any of the issues that we discussed today applies to them, they should consult with a local attorney. And also, most of my discussion here applies to California because I'm a California licensed attorney or a federal law applies. I'm also because I am licensed before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office um, to practice patent law. I can do it nationally.
1: And real quick, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach you?
3: Um,
2: I can be reached at my Los Angeles number, which is three one zero two. Zero two seven 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 two. I can be re- reached online at Andra A N D R A at Andra A N D R A Vaccaro V A C C A R O dot com. Great, thank you so much for joining me. I really me. want to thank you. I want to thank you <laughs> too because I really think that what you're doing is a very very important thing for consumers.
1: Thank you very much. I'm going to have you back on soon because we have a lot lot more to talk about.
2: Okay. Well, All right. I Wish everybody well.
1: Thank you, Andra. Thank you. And we'll take a short
2: break.
0: Hello, I'm Jim Velasquez. Does getting a lousy 1% on your CDs make you sick to your stomach? Inflation is hovering at 3%, so what's really happening? Allow me, Jim Velasquez, to send you my free report. If you haven't reviewed your CDs in a while, don't get this report. It will break your heart. If you want to fight back and beat the bank, text RETIRE to 72727 for this free report. Let's beat the bank. Text RETIRE to 72727 for your free
4: report. Are your credit reports a mess? Are debt collectors hounding you? Maybe you're in foreclosure or headed towards foreclosure and don't know where to turn. It's time to stop panicking. Take back control of your life. Make the first step by calling Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500. 500 6064. Mention the word radio for a free 15 minute consultation. Don't delay call today.
5: Our highly competitive and hectic world is fraught with dishonesty and challenges. Critical decisions must be made on a daily basis with accuracy when substantial assets are at risk. When you are confronted with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Sharpline Investigations, statewide experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Sharpline's professionals work with clients to conduct interviews, deep background investigations, and develop facts and intelligence related to litigation. When circumstances require confidential and expert fact-finding, turn to Sharpline Investigations, the statewide leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit SharplineInvestigations.com or call 855-394-0042. Do you suffer from back,
6: neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664. And get on track to better health.
1: Welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. I have a great person with me that I've been looking forward to speaking to for some time because most of you who listen to the show know that I'm an animal advocate. I have with me John Thompson. He's the Deputy Executive Director and Chief of Staff for the National Sheriff's Association. Welcome to the show, John.
3: Well, hi. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. I've been wanting to talk to you because I'm involved with, with Dog Rescue specifically. Um, I want to ask you, how do you come to establish the National Coalition on Violence Against Animals?
3: Well, I, that's, a, that's a long story. I guess it's not a long story. But, you know, up, uh, up until several years ago, um, you know, animal abuse, animal violence didn't even really cross my radar, didn't give it much thought, never paid much attention to it, uh, never even really knew it existed, I guess, uh, in, in context. And um, I ended up attending a a DOJ seminar, or not a seminar, more of a think tank, and they were talking about animal abuse, and I looked around the room and realized that there wasn't even any law enforcement in there. And I was invited by a friend that said, I think you should come to this. So uh, everything that they talked about, I was thinking, how are you even gonna fix these problems or even deal with these problems if you're not engaged in law enforcement? You don't even have law enforcement in in the room. Uh, and then um, to follow up on that My daughter is uh, uh, an attorney Was working for an organization And wrote an um, a article, a story on animal abuse And sent it to me to, to look at And when I read it, it about knocked me out of my chair uh, That's when I first found out about the, mm-hmm. the link between animal violence And, um, you know, uh, people who do perpetrate crimes and torture And kill human beings uh, just Just couldn't believe it um so you know it started like that that started doing research and looked around and realized that there's a lot of advocacy groups out here there's a lot of people but nobody is working together i mean everybody's doing their own thing right and as we well know um the the more that people work together on on a common fight the the better we do Uh, so i had this idea to create a forum uh independent forum It's not uh, we did it through NSA. NSA, thank goodness, to our board and, and and good folks here allowed me to move forward. We created this forum, the National Coalition on Violence Against Animals. It's www.ncova.org. And it's open to anybody, advocates. Uh, we have advocates. We have uh, veterinarians. We have judges. We have police officers, sheriffs, uh, prosecutors, uh, even have some international people. And it's just a forum for us to discuss common uh, goals and common ideas uh, uh, back and forth without the threat of, uh, I don't want to say threat, I guess it's some advocacy groups you, you find a, kind of some infighting because, you know, there's certain dollars and everybody's fighting for the dollars. And right. I think this forum creates that atmosphere that is not owned by ASPCA or the Humane Society or, or, or Animal Welfare. It's not owned by anybody and so it's an independent form, and and basically that's how it is we've been in our second we've had our second annual meeting and we just had a mid-year meeting and we've got some work groups working on on several things including how how we're going to interact with the new fbi um, uh, adding animal crimes to the ucrs and uh, i think it's a you know a good move so that's how we got it in a nutshell.
1: Now how did you you came to petition the FBI to recognize animal cruelty as a felony? When when does that actually go into effect? Because I I am involved, you know, with a lot of different rescue groups, and so people are stating, you know, when they see these cases and they circulate on Facebook virally, when somebody does something like uh, Kristen Lindsay, the veterinarian that killed the the cat in the head with the the bow, you know, things aren't always happening. Is it now recognized or is it not until a, a future point, maybe in 2016, when it actually is recognized as a felony?
3: Well, it's not, there's some misconception there. It's not really, this is not recognizing it as a felony. This is, what this does is that the law enforcement has to report, for example, rape, robbery, murder. They have to report these crimes to the FBI. They're mandated. And what happens now is that it this, what had happened, doesn't create and make it a felony. What it says now is now animal abuse has to be reported right along, you know, alongside of arson, lights on murder. Uh, The funny thing is, because animal abuse by virtue of, you know, uh, a animal comes before arson, it's at the top of the list. So, what happens starting next year, uh, in January of 16, is that when law enforcement fills out their UCR forms, now they'll have to report animal abuse. So, um, it's more of a reporting mechanism. Now, the the PAC Act that, you know, is in the bill that's in the uh, house right now and has bipartisan support, that will actually make, um, you know, animal abuse a federal crime.
1: So do you think that, uh, you know, eventually when these crimes are prosecuted, because one of the other issues is judges and district attorneys don't always take the cases seriously when it comes to animal abuse.
3: Well, it's, it's you know, it's all over the place. It's just, you know, there's no one size shoot That's all. You can you can go into some communities in some states and they have, a, a for example, Baltimore County has an animal abuse unit within the state's attorney's office uh, many of the state's attorneys have them uh, some areas have task force where the where law enforcement and the prosecutors and animal advocates are all on the task force but, and then you go in some counties and there's nothing they you know they just don't see it as a problem and then again you have to look at the different laws some states are, it's it's the, the, the charges are heavier there's felony well there's felony charges for animal abuse in every state but it, it really depends on mm-hmm. the act uh, but I think the PACT Act, which is, um, and if anybody's interested in finding and they can go to Senator Tomey's website um, and they can learn about it. This actually makes it a, a, a crime, a federal crime, um, where people do things across interstate uh, lines. And it also gives federal agents the ability now to charge on federal property or or in the case of uh, organized crime. So it's really hard to say because I'll tell you there's a lot of good stuff going on but then there's still so much work that needs to be done in a lot of other areas All uh, right. the main thing is that law enforcement is now starting to see uh, the, the evil of uh, what I call the, the wheel of evil and animal abuse is right at the center of it um, and it just branches out to everything else and law enforcement is now starting to see it the prosecutors have been on board a while uh, we have a um, you know, a law law animal abuse prosecution conference coming up in Philadelphia in October that brings prosecutors and advocates and and law enforcement together. So uh, I think we're making headway.
1: Yeah, it it sounds like you are. And I hope I'll be able to touch base with you again in the future, because it sounds like you've started a process, but it's going to be a long process to try and pull everything together the way that it really should be, correct? Correct.
3: Yeah, it is, and you know, I was I was up on the hill speaking uh, yesterday to uh, to a group of uh, staffers and congressmen and senators, and, and you know what I said to them is that the, the, this PACT Act, this one little legislation, this one little bill, uh, you know, and our everybody in that room in our lifetime may not see the end of evil, but every little step that we take by, by passing these laws and every little step that we take to strengthen uh, the fight against animal abuse. You know, one day our children, or even our, or, you know, the future families, uh, may see an end to it. And it's not going to happen in our lifetime, at least not my lifetime. Uh, but you know what? The progress every day. There's something happening every day. There's new stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's really just educating people. It's it's uh, when one question was asked to me about you know children when they abuse animals and how do we intervene? And it's like. You know, we know that children who abuse animals, that, uh, a good majority of them go on to commit other crimes. Uh, sometimes if the, the parent says, oh, he's just being mm-hmm. a boy, you know, he just, you know, he's hitting the dog, but he's just being yeah. a boy. Well, that's because the families really aren't educated. I think if we become educated and we know, well, look, we need some intervention. Yeah. You know, we need to look at this.
1: Well, let, let me ask you, I'm going to call on you again. I hope it's okay in the future. But just quickly, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach you?
3: Um, you can reach me at uh, 703-838-5313, as my direct line, or jthompson at sheriffs.org. Great. J-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at sheriffs.org.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for the update. I hope it's okay if I call again in a couple months and we see what's happening, if there are any good changes.
3: Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you, John. And we'll go to quick break.
4: Are your credit reports a mess? Are debt collectors hounding you? Maybe you're in foreclosure or headed towards foreclosure and don't know where to turn. It's time to stop panicking. Take back control of your life. Make the first step by calling Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500. 500-6064 Mention the word radio for a free 15 minute consultation. Don't delay call today.
0: Hello, I'm Jim Velasquez. Does getting a lousy 1% on your CDs make you sick to your stomach? Inflation is hovering at 3%, so what's really happening? Allow me, Jim Velasquez, to send you my free report. If you haven't reviewed your CDs in a while, don't get this report. It will break your heart. If you want to fight back and beat the bank, text retire to 72727 for this free report. Let's beat the bank. Text retire to 72727 for your free report.
5: Our highly competitive and hectic world is fraught with dishonesty and challenges. Critical decisions must be made on a daily basis with accuracy when substantial assets are at risk. When you are confronted with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Sharpline Investigations, statewide experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Sharpline's professionals work with clients to conduct interviews, deep background investigations, and and develop facts and intelligence related to litigation. When circumstances require confidential and expert fact-finding, turn to Sharpline Investigations, the statewide leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit sharplineinvestigations.com or call 855-394-0042. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers
1: nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-497. 813 777 4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and help you gain more exposure.
6: Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health.
1: welcome back to the world of Lori zook one of my favorite people is here today his name is michael Waslick. he's a florida attorney at law and i love to talk about foreclosures fair credit reporting act fair debt collection practices act because that's another world that i'm involved in and i know mike we want to talk today about lies by lenders so welcome thank you for coming in and let's talk about lies
7: by lenders. Well, Laurie, thank you so much. I always I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, one of the one of the things that sparked this kind of topic that we were talking about today is that uh, very recently a, a new case came down from the federal appellate courts that, in particular, the courts that oversee Florida, Georgia, and uh, Alabama. And uh, that case is an interpretation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, which is what governs uh, anyone who's trying to collect a debt on behalf of another person. Or anybody who's who buys bad debt after it's after it's gone, and the what we've seen is um, th- the federal courts are becoming apparently more concerned with abuses, or more precisely, they recognize that Congress was very concerned about it when they passed it, this act along with several other statutes, and so we are seeing an increased willingness by the court system to enforce consumer protection laws uh, that benefit. Consumers, lenders, or I'm sorry, consumers and borrowers rather, and protect them more strictly against lies, uh, deceptive practices, abuses by uh, by lenders, by those who collect for them. Um, so, for example, recently it became there was big news out there about a case. Um, Uh, and I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not even going to try, but it was addressing the Truth in Lending Act, and it said that it talked about rescission and how rescission is effective based on just mailing it in. Uh, not You don't have to go to court or anything like that. So the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court's expanded protections in that area because where lenders failed to give the proper disclosures at the proper time, there are certain remedies available to borrowers, and the Supreme Court strengthened those remedies in ways that many people are talking about right now and whose impact is still kind of uh i'll say it's up in the air there's a lot of people have some different theories about it i have some theories other people have some theories that don't mesh with mine but uh but that's one example where the uh protections have been have been expanded where there's a failure to disclose material facts where there's a failure to uh to tell the lender by the lender to tell the borrower things that they're supposed to know under federal law um and but the case that came down literally just a couple weeks ago is one that kind of uh snapped my attention because As you know, what I do every day is I represent borrowers in foreclosure cases. I fight the banks on behalf of homeowners. And what we see is there is a culture of – I'm going to use the word deception. There's a culture of deception among lenders. It's so bad that a few years ago the Florida Supreme Court had to amend the rules – that govern foreclosure cases only to make banks, to, basically to stop banks from lying about where the note was, things like that. They, and that and, and the legislature's jumped in too. They've, they've actually stepped in and changed the rules in foreclosure cases to make banks be more honest uh, to, to prevent them from lying about things and so uh, we see that culture of, of deceit that the courts have been fighting back on uh, at the state level and now we have some new tools at the federal level to try and address that type of deception and I see that you you were about to jump in and ask me a question so what uh, let me turn it back to well, you no,
1: Well, when you, when you say deception it makes me think of things like robo-signing or you've ter- you talked about documents that were forged you know the blue ink pen th- things like that where people don't even don't even think about it
7: Absolutely, and and there are so many different ways in which these this deception takes place, and it may not even be intentional. It can be misleading, accidentally. Uh, it can be intentional deception, like like some of the things you've you've used as examples. But uh, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act is very broad, and it protects consumers against any type of misleading, deceptive, unfair, or abusive acts that are engaged in collection. Um, so, a for example. Um, uh, letters that are letters from your lender that are, well, I shouldn't say your lender, but letters from a debt collector. And there's certain ways to qualify for that. Letters from a debt collector that are misleading, even if they're just confusing. The federal court has a uh, the federal courts have a uh, least sophisticated consumer standard, um, wh- you know which basically is, you know, you don't have to get you know you don't have to have gone to high school. You, I mean, you can be somebody who has no, who knows nothing about finance, and if you read that letter and are confused by it. Then that letter, at least arguably, violates the law, um, and so I've seen I've seen much correspondence from lenders, uh, so more, more precisely servicers who are acting on behalf of the original lenders, because it, the original lender technically usually isn't a debt collector. So I want to that's why I keep stumbling over that particular phrase, because I want to be precise, but I also want to be kind of I, I, I want to not get too deep in the jargon. Right. But the debt collector. Um, the debt collectors will send letters, and if they're if they're ambiguous or they're confusing, uh, if they say one thing in one paragraph and one thing in another, then that's potentially misleading. The reason that makes a difference right now is because the the new case I'm talking about from the Eleventh Circuit, which um, and again it's another it's another Eastern European name with lots of consonants. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it if I try to pronounce it, but um, uh, but. But the important part of it is it says that, that even deceptive, misleading, or unfair acts committed by lawyers in the course of collecting debts in court are a violation of the act. And what that means is that if someone is suing you to collect a debt, and whether that's a foreclosure case, some people don't think foreclosure is debt collection, which I think is absolute nonsense, but whether it's a foreclosure, a credit card lawsuit, you know, the small claims, they're all debts, they're all debt collection. And a lawyer who is representing a debt collector or a, a lawyer who's trying to collect a debt, who commits some kind of act in the in court that is misleading or deceptive in some way, that person has violated the law and can be liable. So too can their client if they qualify as a debt collector. So, um, where that comes up most often in, in, in my cases is I see um, where loans have been sold after the default. That def- that meets the definition of debt collector. So the new, the new, quote, lender who is suing to foreclose, if they send any communication at all that is misleading or deceptive or unfair or otherwise abusive, that's a violation. You then have the right to sue. And depending on what has gone on, depending on, on the nature of the violation, depending on how severe it is, you can um you can get a little bit of money for that or you might you might bring a lender to the table and and I know I've shown you a case like this where we filed a small claims action for an FTCPA violation the lender came to the table and offered a principal reduction of almost 50% now there's a lot of reasons you know that, that they would do that and I can't disclose More than that, because we actually did end up taking that settlement for a lot of reasons. But the the consumer laws are very, very powerful protections for... Uh, for people who are being subject to this process, the process that so many people find frustrating because it's inherently misleading, it's inherently deceptive, because the banks are telling you, oh, we'll, we'll help you, we'll help you. Just go ahead and put in your loan mod application, for example, and then they tell you they've never gotten it. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's a deception.
1: They put them in multiple times. Oh, and absolutely. they claim they never get them. Yeah, the, 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 the... Certified return receipt mail and they didn't get them.
7: I mean, I, I have yet to meet I have yet to meet a client who's who thinks that the bank has been honest with them, and so uh, that that's a very common problem. So I'm now I'm with this new case I'm reviewing all of my my all my files, which is you know a lot right. for potential for potential violations, um, and one other area of the law that we see this come up and we we touched on it earlier is is credit reporting. This is another area where lies or deceit or even just incorrect information by lenders is is very prevalent. I've had cases where uh, or we got a, a foreclosure judgment reversed on appeal, okay? Well, guess what? We pulled, you know, we the client pulled his credit report. They're still reporting it as a judgment. They're still reporting it as being out there against him. That's not correct. And if they don't if they don't fix that, um, he's trying to refinance right now. And if he misses a refinance, the damages there uh, that caused by this deception are potentially huge. And so that's something I'm working with right now on on a couple different cases. So that fact pattern crops up again and again. So all these consumer protection statutes, you weave them all together, you know, and you can – what you find is you – you know, more and more I'm discovering these can be a very, very powerful tool to come to the aid of someone who is – uh, caught in this consumer debt trap, and they're dealing with these faceless institutions that promise them one thing and deliver something completely unexpectedly different. Well, now we have more powerful tools to try and fight back against that and and get the consumers, get the homeowners, get the borrowers what they really need, some kind of relief.
1: Yeah, and we're going to need to do a, a whole other show on all this, because you and I could just talk for hours and hours about it, because I sit here and go... We talk about the banks did this and the banks did that, but it's the people who run the banks that did it. There are actually people behind it, and that's something that really irritates me, as I'm sure it does the listeners. So I'm going to have you back again. Uh, You're in Florida, and you want to talk to Michael Waslick. Florida Attorney, how did they get you, Mike?
7: Well, best way to find me is on my website. It's ricardolaw.com. It's R-I-C-A-R-D-O-L-A-W.com. Or you can call me at 352-567-3173. It's 352-567-3173. Thanks a lot, Lori. Thanks for
1: joining me. And I will see you next week back on The World of Lori's Zoom. Join me then.